Hey everyone, welcome to Turntables. This is episode two. I'm here with my good friend Dave, and uh, we felt it pertinent to spend some time talking about not only one of our favorite bands, but uh, one of our personal heroes, I'm sure, who just passed away, uh, Neil Peart. And uh, man, this one sucks, Dave. I don't know. I know you and I have been talking a lot, and um, I don't know. This it's this has a feel for me like it did when uh, Ronnie James Dio died. It just like went into a funk for like a week. I'm like, oh shit, he's dead. Like what, like what happens now? Right. Yeah. Yeah. This one's, this one, this one cut pretty deep. This one, uh, yeah, this one's hard. I I don't know. You know, and it's funny. It's like, I didn't expect to, I I guess it was hard because, uh, you know, you didn't know anything. It's not like we knew you, you know, it, this was just all thrown at us. Maybe if we had known, oh, he was sick and blah, 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 you know, it would have been a little easier to take, but it was just like, oh, by the way, you know, that yeah, was, there was like nothing. There was like no, I mean, I, I guess if you know anything about him, that's the way he would have mm. wanted it. You know what I mean? But, the whole band, really. Yeah. Yeah. And it just like, once I started really thinking about it, I'm like, oh my God, like they knew for sure. And now, like, some other reports are coming out. Like, I don't know if you saw uh, Sully Erna just said the other day, like, he had talked to him and knew he was sick. And I'm like, oh, fuck. Like, all these people, like, they knew and they just sort of, like, had to keep it quiet. And then, like, ah, it just, it sucks. Yeah. Yeah. It's a tough one to swallow. Very tough. I don't, where it's such a weird, like, the last couple of years. Well, I mean, for me, like I said, since Dio died, but there have been so many people like you know lemmy and chris cornell like all these all of like our rock heroes are like dying and it sucks because thank god we have the format that we had to listen to whether it's on vinyl or digital or whatever but like like we can't go see them anymore you know that sucks no i know i know i i actually uh i actually got to go to the uh r40 tour in philly and um we uh, uh I, 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 it's the most money I ever spent on tickets in my life, but I was like, this is it. Uh, I, I mean, you know, they hadn't officially come out and said it, but you pretty much knew it was all said and done. And, uh, I was like, screw it. And I got fifth row seats. And, uh, that was, <laughs> oh man, dude, that was just, that was mind blowing. It was so good. It was so good. Was that, where was that? Philly at the, uh, I don't know, the Philly. I can't think of what it is right now down there. The big, the big place. It was indoor. Yeah, yeah. Oh my god, that's awesome. Yeah, Fifth row. I keep wanting to say in the Giant Center, but it's not the Giant Center. That's that's Hershey. Yeah, yeah. Whatever the big, uh, uh, whatever the spectrum is now. I know oh, I'm dating okay. myself I by saying that. Spectrum. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I just saw the other day. Um, I saw the set list from the last show that they ever did. I'm like, Oh my God, there's so many, like there's so many good songs that they played. Yeah. And it was really cool because they, the way they set it up, I don't know if you saw it or not, but the way they set it up was they, they purposely set the set list to go from newest to oldest. So they, the first like three songs they played was from Clockwork Angels, and then they played a couple songs from uh, Snakes and Arrows, and and then they just they just kept going back chronologically on their album, and as they were doing that, these 
these stagehands kept coming out and changing the stage setup so that it looked like or represented the tour of that album. And it was incredible. And they, you know, they were putting up like when they were starting to get back into the eighties and when, uh, the early eighties, when, when Alex had like a shit ton of, of, of Marshall stacks behind him, they were putting up like, you know, Marshall props behind him, like, like a huge stack. And then they would just come out and slowly start to remove them as they were going back in time more because he didn't have quite the setup. You know what I mean? So until they got to the very end and they literally had like this, this fender twin on a chair and, you know, like, you know, like, (laughs) like it was when their first gig was. So that's how they played. They, they actually went backwards in time and played something from every album. It was, it was amazing. It was amazing show. Wow, that's incredible. The production on that must have been insane. Like, to think about, like, because I watched uh, uh, Beyond the Lighted Stage, and then I was watching various clips of things, and, like, I just happened to watch, like, three or four uh, clips from the Time Machine tour, which was the last time I saw them. And Mm -hmm. I'm like, my God, like, even that, the production was huge. There's so much going on, like, to Mm -hmm. go backwards like that. I I can't believe that. That's awesome. Yeah, it was, it was, and they kept, like, they they would uh, remove Getty's keys and they would put out more keys and then they would remove his keys. I mean, it was elaborate. You know, oh by the time God. they got to like Manadu, he only had like one little moog on this on the stage to play. You know, because that's all they had. You know what I mean? It was just yeah. it was really 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 interesting how they did it. But just phenomenal. That's awesome. So Definitely how many times? Yeah. yeah, for sure. How many times have you seen them? I, I've only seen them three, okay. which kind of sucks. And the first time I saw them was Snakes and Arrows tour. Um, I wish I would have seen them earlier, but it just it it just was never in the cards, you know. And right. and, and, and I don't know, maybe it's because it was the first time I saw them. But the Snakes and Arrows tour was incredible. I saw them at Hershey. That actually had pretty decent seats. I think I had like tenth row seats. 10th or 12th i mean we were pretty close to that but that's the one where they really kicked out with all the video yeah. you know they had uh um a bob and doug mckenzie clip and they had the south park clip in front of uh tom sawyer yeah. and all kinds of stuff like that and it was just blew my mind it, i was just i just remember just sitting there just thinking it's about time i i've come to see these guys live and of course they played like some of the greatest some of my most favorite songs on that tour yeah. so it was yeah. it was icing on the cake i mean some deep cuts that i was like oh they'll never play that and then they did you know so yeah yeah that was actually the first time i saw them too with snakes and arrows and i i at that time i wasn't as into rush as i am now because probably because i just think like uh at different stages in my life that like i i open up this door to one particular band and then it opens up to like 50 more you know what i mean so i don't even know how i got to rush but i know my friends were like hey rush is going playing in scranton and at montage you want to go up and i'm like yeah whatever i'll go and of course i knew like tom sawyer and i knew yyz and some of those so at that time i was like they were a hits band for me. I'm like, yeah, this would be pretty cool to go see him. And then I got there and I'm like, what the fuck? Like, I remember I walked away and I, I said, if I never see another show, 
for the rest of my life, that's the highlight because everything that happened, it blew my mind. And yeah, like I knew Neil Peart, but I didn't, I didn't know him that well. And so whenever I saw the drum solo, I'm like, what? And so I went home and I immediately started digging through. And then I discovered, you know, everything from the beginning. And I just was like, and then it, they instantly became a, like a favorite band of mine all time. Awesome. Yeah. That, uh, first time for me, I mean, obviously I'm older than you, so this is going to show, but the first time I ever heard Rush was believe it or not on the radio. And, uh, it was life changing. I was 13 years old, 12 or 13. Um, and, uh, Guy says, uh, yeah, we have the newest song from Rush on their upcoming album, Moving Pictures, and they played Tom Sawyer on the radio. And I was oh like, God. what is this? I mean, I, it <laughs> blew my mind. So, uh, uh, you know, I, had, I was getting allowance for, you know, mowing the lawn, washing the cars, whatever the hell I was doing at the time. And all my at, at, at that point in my life, I was really starting to get into music like I was buying 45s, but I was just starting to get into albums. You know, I, I had a like I had like Van Halen, too, you know, and I was blown away by that, and, you know, and stuff like that. And I was getting into Zeppelin, loved Led Zeppelin. And I heard this song. And I'm like, I, I've got to know what this is all about. So I go to the store listening booth in the Harrisburg City, uh, Harrisburg East Mall. And I, there it is, moving pictures. I pick it up. I go to the counter. And the guy behind the counter is like, dude. <laughs> yeah, I'm, like, I'm like 13 years old, you know. So he's like, oh, man, you know, it's great. You, you big fan. I said, I, you know, all I know is this one song. And he's, long story short, he recommends 2112 to me to get next. So I go back and it's there. So I bought both at the same time. I bought moving pictures and 2112. And that was my introduction to rush. Like I took these two albums home, put them in my stereo. And for like the next three days, I was just consumed. Like it just blew my mind. And I, ever since I've been, I've always said Led Zeppelin is my favorite band because it was black dog that really like, made me want to play guitar and learn how to play guitar and really opened me up to the whole thing of rock and roll. But, but when it really comes down to it, Rush was probably my favorite band is probably yeah. my Rush Zeppelin. And, and, and you know, those two are top. And I've been a Rush fan ever since. I mean, ever since buying the stuff as it's been coming out. Yeah, for sure. I, and I think like you and I have, pretty much aligned on all of our musical tastes and so i feel the same way you do like zeppelin was continues to be huge number one for me because it just hit me at the right time in my life you know what i mean so like yeah. it just it, it opened up so many doors but once i got to rush i started to really appreciate music you know what i mean like zeppelin everybody can listen to and the people who know music really appreciate it but rush is like on another level because they there's like, there's so many different things going on. So many time changes. And like, it's just like, it literally takes you on a journey. I listened to, I told you the other day, I'm working through, I'm listening to the whole discography front to back. And um, mm -hmm. the day I was on 2112, I'd been the first time in a long time. I listened to the whole thing. And I just, like at one point I just, I like zoned out and I'm like, this doesn't happen when you listen to, 
certainly anything contemporary, but even a lot of the stuff that came out when they were still popular, because they were like, and, 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 it, and it blows my mind too that like they didn't become huge until really later on in their career. Like, I, I, I don't understand that. Huge uh, in a, in a um, mainstream sense. Like, obviously they had this like huge following and, you know, they were, they were a big time band, but they didn't, I, I don't think they played on a lot of the same levels as some of the other guys until later. What do you, do you think that's right or no? No, totally. But I mean, at the same time, they never, it was one of those things where they never tried to, they never tried to make that record that would break the radio. They, they made music they, that they wanted to. And, 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 I, and I'm not saying that other musicians didn't. Like, I'm not saying Zeppelin conformed to some sort of radio format because clearly they didn't. Right. Um, but, but, you know, Rush was just so intricate. And, and they had that ability to be intricate and yet not come across harshly intricate. It, it's hard to explain. Like, when you listen to Yes... If you put a Yes album on, like, something crazy, like, close to the edge, I mean, that is all over the place. And yeah. you got to like that. <clears throat> but Rush, Rush is all over the place, but in such a, 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 a familiar sense that it was, it, it was just, it was mind-blowing to me. But, yeah, they, even with moving pictures, you know, they, they, they had that big success, and then it kind of fell off from there again. You know, I, I don't get it. I don't get it. That's just, we could go on, there could be a whole nother podcast talk about the, the music industry conglomerate and how much it sucks. Right. But, you know, that's, I'm, yeah, I'm they glad, never, they, God. No, I'm glad that their legacy is what it is because it makes, like, even though, um, I don't know, it just, it makes me feel like Rush is my band. You know what I mean? Like, I feel like mm-hmm. that's just like, I get it on my mm-hmm. own level. I don't have to worry about what anybody else thinks. And you and I and a lot of other people can talk about what we love, what we don't like. And it doesn't like, it doesn't, we don't get into a fight about it. You know what I mean? It's just like, yeah, like I really like this album and I like this album. And oh, that's awesome. Cause that's a really good album too. Like it's not something where you have to like hotly debate who's right or wrong. Yeah. <laughs> it's just an opinion. And that was beautiful about rush is because, they 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 evolved so many times that there has to be something in there you like. You know what I mean? Like yep. maybe you don't like Fly by Night and Press of Steel, but you like permanent windows or uh, power windows and, and Grace Under Pressure, you know, that time frame, or vice versa, you know. Like I'm not huge on the Presto Roll the Bones era. Like those two albums for me were weak. Not, not that I don't have them or that there aren't songs on there that I think are great. But to me, those, those two albums were a little weak. But I have a friend of mine who absolutely loves those records, you know. So it's, it's all in a pain. And I don't fault him for it, you know. It, it's, it's what he likes. And, but we both agree that Rush is incredible, you know. Yeah, and the, it's interesting you say that because uh... – watching the documentary the other night like they it was it was really interesting how they detailed like from the beginning how they were to adding you know all the keys and all the synthesizer stuff and then coming out of that and back to their roots but a little bit more of an updated sound around the time like 
test for echo and roll the bones and all that stuff came out. And those are some of the records I really enjoy counterparts for me is like, that's the one where if I ever talk to someone who doesn't know a lot about rush, that's the one that I would introduce them to. I don't know why really? that album, just, that album just man it locked in with me for some reason. I don't know why, like there's so many good songs and I just, I think it's because I have a tendency to like the records that nobody else really listens to. And uh, so for me, that one was like, I listened to it the first time and I'm like, I, I love that record. That's, that's my rush record. That and the first one for sure are like, my my go-to if I'm introducing someone or just if I just want to listen for whatever reason, you know? See, that's – and this just goes back to what you were saying before. That's interesting. Uh, Counterparts definitely is a good album. Uh, you know, for me, of the of – the, when we're talking the later stuff, and when I say later stuff, I'm talking presto on. Right. To me, the best album to listen to is Snakes and Arrows. But I think Counterparts is a close second. So I would agree with you with Counterparts. That is a definitely a good album. Now, is that the one I would go to if I'm introducing someone to Rush? No, no. Right. My, my favorite foursome is, is everything between All the World's a Stage and Exit Stage Left. I mean, but, but that's because that's what was there when I, when I got into them. I mean, that was the meat right there. I mean, the newest album when I got out was Moving Pictures. Signals and Beyond wasn't even out yet. So, you know, I, I just went backwards. You know, I got Moving Pictures and, of course, 2012, and I listened to both of them, and I thought they were great, and I thought, I need everything in between. So I immediately got Permanent Waves and Hemispheres and all uh, all, uh, A Farewell to Kings. And th- that I just got sucked into. And being a fledgling bass player, like that stuff just blew my mind. Like I had to learn all of that, you know. I mean, you could play my moving pictures records, and every time it would come into one of them little bass solo parts, like in Red Barchetta or or YYZ or even like uh, uh, Witch Hunt, you know, the, the static and the dirt would become exponentially louder at, at the bass parts because I just kept playing them over and over again. <laughs> Trying yeah. to figure out what that, you know, it's just like hours and hours and hours with moving pictures, like straight breaking my fingers in and just, you know, going through the pain and everything. But it was like, it wasn't even like, uh, it was just like, I have to do this. I have to do this. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I have to know what he's doing here. And I learned all that stuff. And, you know, Xanadu, oh my God, you know, all the oh. base work of that was just, uh you know, I was, for me, that's the that's the pinnacle for me. But but again, it's it's a timeline. That's what I, that was my introduction. You know, your introduction was different. Yeah. Uh, speaking of Xanadu, so I uh, list. I'm at the tail end of the Hemisphere's 40th anniversary uh, release, and they have. Um, it's not a whole. It's a whole show, but then at the end they tack on. 2112 from like three years later so i don't get that but the the show on that on that disc is a is a pink pop festival and i don't remember the year but i was listening to it this morning and i just happened to be uh, listening to xanadu and like the baseline in that to begin with is insane but then them playing it live on that recording listening to it like getty lee is i mean it goes without saying he's probably one of the top two or three bass players of all time. But 
listening to the the different like movements he's got, I'm like, my God, I can't. I don't. I don't know how they kept up with each other because they're all three such good players, and the things that they do just in between the cracks are incredible. Yeah, and and, and the fact that he sang and played all that stuff was just yeah. what is going on. Yeah, you know, it was it was one thing to get those bass lines down. And, you know, and play them with some sort of, uh, of, you know, proficiency. But to add vocals into that and have some sort of r- different rhythm in your melody line was just like, what? I don't even know. Like, this guy isn't even real. Like, I don't get this, yeah. you know? It yeah. was, it, yeah, yeah. Yeah, Xanadu is just, Xanadu is definitely one of the top songs for me. That bass line it's just, uh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. It's it's uh you know to start the song the way they start it with just nothing for however many minutes you know before they actually start like kind of coming into the whole idea of the song. There's just all that background stuff going on, and, and you're like, but it's amazing because once you get to the end, you, it kind of all comes back together, and you like you understand like what they're trying to do, I guess. And it's it's like it's. So and then live, of course, is is amazing. So. And, and I don't know if you know this about that album, but that was the first one they recorded in England. And a lot of the airiness about that, like the begin, like the acoustic beginning in uh, 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 for a farewell to kings, they did that outside. They recorded a lot of that stuff outside. So all the oh. natural sounds like that, that wasn't studio trickery. That was stuff that was going on while they were playing the music. So that's why a, a lot of that, especially side A, side B, I don't know so much, but side A, a lot of that that acoustic stuff, and the 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 building uh, of Xanadu and that that was recorded outside. So they got a lot of that naturally. I did not know that. That's incredible because it, like, it just fits so well with everything else that's there. Yeah. See, they again, they were so. They just didn't care. Like they were going to do what yeah. they were going to do, and if they thought it was cool, I mean, it got pressed. You know what I mean? And and that's, I think that's one of the things that probably is big for me. Is like it's kind of like these three guys who just never took themselves seriously. They never thought themselves as being these huge conglomerate musicians, you know, monster musicians. They just were having fun, and it was like. Oh, I can do this. Can you do this? Oh, well, I can do this. Oh, that's cool. Let's put it together. Oh, what do we got? You know? Oh, this is cool. You know? And then they right. just went here. Here's my record. And people, you know, I think people really subconsciously connected with that. Yeah, definitely. It's, um, I think that's part of their mystique is that, like, they can, they can, it identifies with people in so many different ways. It's not just straight down the barrel, you know, sex, drugs, rock and roll, whatever. It's like all this other, all this other stuff that no matter whether you know it or not, it attaches itself, you know, to you. And then you be like, it's just, you identify with it. Absolutely. And underneath it all, they rocked. What's that? Underneath it all, they rocked. Oh, yeah. they, They rocked it out, man. You know, it's still stuff you put on, you turn up. You know, and I, I keep referring, I go back to Yes. You know, Yes, uh, I liked Yes, too. There was a lot of stuff there that I liked. And I really appreciate the musicianship. But some of that stuff is just, 
like you, you you sit and listen to it and it's cool but rush still makes you want to air guitar you know what i'm saying like yeah. even in their even in their most intricate parts you're still windmilling you know what i mean like you're still you're still rocking out to the shit it's just awesome yeah there's uh i think what was it i was listening to a fair lot of kings maybe and i don't remember what song but there was some parts that they changed they changed the whole uh rhythm of the song and it just was like like fuck this is incredible like it was already good but then they did they shifted gears and it became something completely else and different and it was just like almost every song's like that once you get into that era because there's so many different things going on at once inserting things and then getting back out of it and not having it feel stiff or jerky or out of place you know right right the one thing the one thing that just i wish the one wish i had for a farewell of cakes was i wish uh closer to the heart was maybe about 20 seconds longer because if you listen to close to the heart towards the end as it's fading out Neil rips into this absolutely killer fill where he just rounds the, the set. But it's at the fade out. So you really got to listen for it. It is absolutely mm. killer. So I, I just wish they would have extended that maybe 20 seconds, maybe 15 seconds just to get that whole fill in so you could hear that all in its entirety. It's, it's Check it out next time you listen to me. But put that on at the very end yeah. of Close to the Heart. There's this massive roll uh, that, that Neil does. It's just like, oh, how can you fade out of that? Oh, my God. Yeah, I don't know if I picked up on that. I'll, have to go back. I'll go back tonight and listen to it. That's awesome. Yeah, yeah, it's good stuff. What, um, so this, again, talking about Neil Peart, this sort of like, you know, goes without saying, but uh, his influence on music, on drummers, Let's talk about that for a minute, because I know for me, playing drums, I knew I was never going to get to the level that he was because I didn't, whatever reason, have the time or whatever to put that work into it. But, like, I started out, you know, my the first drummer that ever really stuck out to me was Bonham. I'm not taking nothing away from him because that's how I learned how to play drums. But once I got to him and then I started listening to, like, Keith Moon and and. Don Henley and some of those other guys, and then I got to Neil Peart, and I'm like, "Holy fuck! Like this is, this is the the top guy, you know?" Like, and then I saw his kit, and I'm like, "My God, no wonder he's doing what he's doing. He's literally encircled in, in, in drums and and cymbals." And but then I started watching him play, and I'm like, "I don't. How does he do that? You know?" So like, and Mike Mike Portnoy's another good example. He's a guy that openly, you know, talks about his influence and. I mean, he's played so much of their stuff, and I mean, so as a as a musician, I guess not even with Neil, just the band in general. You know, how does that maybe influence you and what what you're doing? Because you're still playing, I'm not. So, well, I'm still playing very limitedly, but yes, I I, <laughs> I, I can't even put into words. It's tough for me to say about Neil because obviously I'm not a drummer. Um. I, I think the one thing I can say about Neil is is that there are so many. I, I was having this 
conversation. I don't want to say argument because it was an argument. But I was having a conversation with you guys one day, not too long ago because of the recent events. Uh, one guy who is a drummer said that uh, Neil Peart was more influential in the music world than Paul McCartney. Okay. And the other guy said, well, you know, the Beatles and blah, 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 blah. And it was like, well, first of all, we're not talking about the Beatles. We're talking about Paul McCartney. They're two different things. Right. They, because and I can make a statement by saying Roger Waters and Pink Floyd. They are two different things. Yep. Um, but, but here's the thing. Here's the thing that, that I got myself out of that conversation. You know, Paul McCartney, you can say, well, the Beatles, they influence so much. And yes, you can hear Beatles influences even in modern music, pop music today, you can still hear Beatle influences. And there's so many people that say, oh, you know, Paul McCartney and the Beatles, and they were so influential by music, and so da, 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 da. But when you talk about Neil Peart and all the people that say, well, he was a huge influence on me, those people, you don't hear Neil Peart in their playing. They play as themselves, but Neil was their inspiration. He was the guy that everybody says, well, that's why I had to play drums because I listened to Neil Burke. To me, that's, that's more influential than having something like saying, like the Beatles, where everybody's trying to copy that or incorporate that. Drummers do not try to incorporate what Neil did. They learn what he did, but then they move on and, and, and develop like, like Mike Portnoy. Clearly, he was influenced by Neil. But if you listen to Portnoy, you can't go, oh, there's a, there's Neil Burt right there. He got right. that from Neil. Do you know what I mean? Right. And to me, that type of influence, I think that type of influence is greater than what, than trying to imitate or copy somebody else. Imitation, they say, is the highest form of flattery. But to me, if you inspire somebody to go on and do be themselves, that's a higher inspiration. That really is. I mean, it's an influence to say, you can do this too. Be yourself. You know what I mean? Uh, I learned that as far as bass playing, there was when I was really starting to pick up bass and go, okay, I'm going to learn this instrument and I'm going to play the shit out of it. There were two guys that I practiced immensely. One was Steve Harris from Iron Maiden. And the reason I practiced him a lot was because his right hand finger picking was immense. Like yeah. it was, it was otherworldly. I couldn't believe it. Like this dude, how does he not? I mean, I remember hours trying to keep up with him and just getting cramps in my arm and, you know, and my fingers just locking up because I'm trying to push them to this limit. Uh, you know, so I practiced Iron Maiden stuff a lot because of that, that, that finger picking, style you know an exercise and the other one was Kenny Lee because Kenny was <laughs> well he was Kenny <laughs> now yep. how else do you explain it I mean, he was just everywhere and yet it was just in there you know and I had to know what he was doing I had to learn what he was playing and how he incorporated that and and I think I got a lot of my style from him although I don't know if you could hear it's it's tough to really when you're not playing prog rock when you're just playing like we're mostly blues rock, you know, it's tough to say, oh, well, I'm going to throw this Kenny Lee little riff into, you know, a three, you know, four, four blues rock. You know? <laughs> right. That doesn't, that doesn't fit. 
but a lot of the dexterity and a lot of the ideas that I have came from learning what he did for me. And he was huge, huge influence, absolutely huge influence on me. Yeah, that's and a that good point. Sound, that, that fat sound, uh, uh, yeah. I researched it. When I was playing with Brim Legends, you know, we were just a three piece. And like when, when Mike would go into a guitar solo, our guitar player, Mike, when he would go into a guitar solo, there was always this kind of this dropout. And I thought, man, I don't, you know, this, this kind of sucks, you know? So I found out that Getty had used these Tech 21 preamps. And I went and bought one. And when I got it, it came with an instruction manual. There was actually a setting for the Getty Lee sound, right? This this setting. So wow. I actually set it up and I put it in the rack. And that practice, it was like night and day. Because my bass was so fat and, and punchy. And when he would go into his guitar solo, nothing dropped out. I was still holding the end, the low end, and still holding the song together. And uh, that was really, once I got that, that really was probably the true opening of Reverend Blue Jeans. We had um, uh, Brett Alexander record us one night uh, at a show, you know, Brett from the Badleys. Right. And his, his response, his, his immediate response after we were done was, I've never heard three guys in my life be so loud. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, thank you. Thank you. Anyway, I mean, I, I, I don't know. I hope that answers the question. Yeah, he, influentially, it was ridiculous. And you could walk in, I could walk into any audition to a band and, and just plug in and start playing like the Tom Sawyer rock riff. And I was in. I didn't even have to practice with anybody. They were like, okay, you're in. Right. You know, that, that type of credibility is, is understated. Yeah. Yeah, and it's a good point that you brought up too about imitation versus influence because I don't think anybody could sit down and play exactly like Neil did. I don't care who you are, Mike Portnoy or not, because they're all going to have their own kind of spin on it. But there's levels of influence that you can definitely pick up. You know, like when I played, you could tell that John Bonham was the guy that I learned to play from because I hit hard and I hit heavy and my beats were, were just straightforward. And I would, you know, try to plug in these fills that really didn't belong there. And that's what he did. So and with Neil, there's just so much of his influence that comes through from all the different things that he brought to the table. And then he just combined it into this one package. And I think the same goes for all three guys, because, you know, anyone that plays bass will tell you Getty Lee's an influence and, just about anybody that plays guitar will tell you that Alex Lifeson is a, is an influence. And uh, that's, you don't get that a lot with bands. It's usually one or maybe two guys, but the whole band as an influence is pretty huge. And, and it's sad how underrated Alex Lifeson is because oh God. purely, purely because of the fact that he's playing with two monster musicians like Getty Lee and, and, and Neil Burke. There's a million guitar players out there that people go, oh, my God, you know, whether they're shredders or they're, or they're blues guys or, you know, I mean, uh, David Gilmore alone, who is not by any means any type of shredder, but his stuff is just so tasty and so good, you know, and, and other guys like Warren Haynes or, yep. or uh, you know, Dickie Betts, you know, that type of, I mean, it's unbelievable stuff. 
And usually the guitar player sticks out in that, but in Rush, he was surrounded by two other guys equally as good. So, you know, that makes those two guys shine more because it was it's kind of an oddity where where, you know, Alex normally in, in other bands the guitar player is the hero. Alex mm-hmm. was great. And you know, watching him play, his his style or his technique, his actual technique is horrible. He has horrible horrible finger technique. You can tell he taught himself. And there is nothing wrong with that. Right. I guess the point that I'm making is, here's this guy who is so, I mean, incredible. Like, his court, it just seems like his court knowledge is abounding. But when he's out there playing a solo and you watch him play, his technique is horrible. Like, it's horrible. You go, you think to yourself, that is awesome. That is awesome that this guy is playing everything from his heart. You know what I mean? Yep. He didn't learn this piece in a lesson and then twisted it to do this. He's just out there laying it out, you know? Yeah, it's this, uh, definitely you step back and look at it and there's um, you, you can understand how they are as mammoth of a band as they are now. Like when you you know, look at their entire history and look at all the things that we've been talking about. You can like you you understand why people were pissed off for so many years when they didn't make the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Even though that's a joke, and I'm not going to get into that. We'll have another podcast on that because I know you and I both will, can go off for hours about that. Uh, but yeah, I don't even know. I don't even know if that's worth a podcast. So I, would just... <laughs> I know. Well, I'm just putting the liner notes. No big deal. Um, yeah, so it's uh, they're definitely worthy of all the the praise they've gotten and and uh, everything they will continue to get. So, all right. So continuing on here, talking about Rush, um, you know, Dave, I I challenged you the other day to give me a top five, and you said you couldn't do it, and I don't know that I could either. Kind of going through their catalog. We talked about Xanadu. You know, what are some other favorite songs of yours? Because I think it's with a band like Rush, it's easy to go, oh, Tom Sawyer kicks ass, or oh, Red Barchetta kicks ass. But they are so deep. There's so many cuts. You told me you had a disc with 96 songs on it. So what are some of the ones that really stick out to you? Oh, yeah, 96. And I had to, I had to trim that. <laughs> <laughs> I was trying to put everything on a disc and I couldn't do it. Um, I have a lot of different songs that stick out to me. I mean, yeah, Red Marchetta, definitely, I would have to say. And I, and I, I can say that over, you know, you said, well, not just Tom Sawyer and Red Marchetta, but Red Marchetta wasn't like Tom Sawyer. Tom Sawyer was the song. Tom Sawyer, YYZ, uh, uh, limelight. Those are the ones that just put them right in the stratosphere, you know. Right. And, and mm-hmm. Spirit Radio set them up for those three songs. Okay, set up those three songs. Red Marchetta, though, to me is just—it's a great story. It's a great song. They, of course, they got, there's two bass solos in it, so of course it's top notch for me. Uh, but but the whole structure of that song was just—it was just great, you know, how they incorporated the music to the tone of the story but really really comes together I, I think um, 
So I really like that song. The other one that I'm going to mention, and I'm just going to mention it because everybody's going to, anybody that's on the street is going to go, yeah, right. La Villa Strangiato, incredible. Probably the best oh. instrument rock song ever. Yeah. Over YYZ, it, it, it trumps YYZ by leaps and bounds. Right. And that's not putting YYZ down. YYZ is, is big because it has the bass and the drums fills that they go back and forth. And that's just unheard of in rock and roll. But why, uh, La Villa Strangiato just has this momentum that builds. And then they bring it down and it just slowly like builds again. You know, and it, just the energy and the instrumentation in that is just absolutely phenomenal. But those two are kind of like the top, I mean, top tier as far as Rush fans going, yeah, I know those songs. I know those songs. Maybe some songs that you might know, but you haven't really listened to. I was thinking about one of them is called uh, uh, Between the Wheels. It's the last song on Grace Under Pressure. And I remember the first time that came out of the, the speakers, I just thought that song was so in your face. And it's it's a dark song. The keyboards in the beginning, it's just keyboards in the beginning. I know that's surprising, but it's it's just this these two chords just being beaded out. And then all of a sudden, everything else just slams into the song in this dark, like, E minor sort of groove. And uh, I always thought that was just a badass song. It's just got this heavy, turn it up and let it go sound to it, which was just very cool. Very cool. And that was one of the songs they played on the uh, Snakes and Arrows tour that I was like, God, ah, I'll never play that. And then they kicked it in. It was like the fifth song or something. And I thought, oh my God. <laughs> um, another song I've always connected with was Entree New. Uh, I thought that song's message was, uh, was very good. Um, and, and the sounds, you know, he, Alex, again, talking about Alex, the chord structures that he would come up with, you know, and back then I played guitar, too. So I was trying to learn some Alex stuff. And, you know, these weren't these weren't just straightforward bar chords. I mean, this dude was coming up with all kinds of stuff mm. like what is this, you know, and and uh, the whole message of that song and the way they kicked back and forth between the electric and the acoustic worked really, really well. Um, and, and maybe a lot of this stuff is a lot of lyric stuff, which is the, probably the more influential piece from me, from, for me, from Neil was a lot of the lyric stuff. And a lot of people, um, connect with that, you know? Yeah. Um, I, I think nobody's hero from counterparts. Great yep. song. Yeah. Great song, you know, and it's not one of their more rocking songs, but I, I, I think that's what I loved about Rush was they could go back and forth with these acoustic type and electric type, you know, and, and be heavy, be a lighter song and have it all fit together. Um, of course, Xanadu, bass line. Mm -hmm. Incredible. Out of this world. On to the next song. Um <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I, I would think off the top of my head, those are the those are the big ones. Those are the big ones. I like Manhattan Project. I thought that was uh, pretty cool lyrically. That was a very interesting story. Um, the last song on Presto, 
Available Light. That oh, okay. was that one was really good to me. I, I think it stood out to me because it was Rush, but I think that's the most he really used an actual piano. Mm. I can't really think of another song. Yeah. Other than different strings. With different strings, he didn't use the piano a lot. Available Light has piano on it. And I thought that was really... Well, okay, The Garden off of... uh, Oh, yeah. That has piano on it, too. Which was interesting because the piano solo live, unless he was faking it, was played by Alex. Hmm. From the garden, yeah. when I saw I saw them on the uh, on that tour, the uh, the the uh, Clockwork Angels tour, and they finished out or close to finished out with the garden, and he was the one who walked up to the keyboard and started playing that little, you know, light sort of piano solo at the end. Huh. That was him. So I don't know if that's how it was recorded, or if he right. learned it, or if he was standing there faking it. I don't know. <laughs> Which I find it hard to believe that yeah. Rush would fake anything. But, you know, on a side note, I, I, since I brought this up, I want to ask you a question since you've seen him live three times. Do you really think he sings those backups? <laughs> I, I, I want to say yes. I, I don't know. I mean, I never, I guess I never really thought that he didn't because you just see it and everything that, goes on on stage is so real with them that you're just like you just sort of assume that he does i don't yeah i don't see why he wouldn't but now that you bring it up i mean i guess my only thought process is is that if he did why didn't he do it on the records right because he doesn't do any vocals on the records at least not according to their credits yeah yeah but i yet, mean it could you it know could just be filler because i mean i've seen um other bands do that where they did the, on the record it's all credited to the lead singer and then they'll have other guys you know do backups or whatever on tour uh, maybe that's and, and i mean it's not prevalent enough that well but then again you've got songs like um well a lot of their 90s stuff and on like well that's a little different i mean you, you can is. put a you can, you can put a, a synthesizer on his vocal there and, and he can do what subdivisions that's about yeah. it but 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 a lot of their a lot of their style, you know, into the two thousands, when you listen to it, a lot of the vocals are two part harmony now. You know, Getty really got into that two part harmony thing. It was like it was almost like a staple in their songwriting later on. Right. You know, you listen to a lot of counterparts, Test for Echo, Snakes and Arrows, a lot of that stuff, and there is a lot of doubling in vocals as far as like two part harmony going, and. Um, I don't know. Off question. I don't know. Yeah, no, it's, it's just a thought. They, again, like you never, when you go to see a band live, you just assume, unless you know otherwise. But I think it also depends on the credibility of the band. Like with Rush, you don't assume anything is faked or dubbed or on tape. You just assume that no. it's live, you know. So I never, never really thought about it. Yeah, and it's never been an issue. It's never come out. Of course, they're, they're pretty good at keeping things pretty uh, close to the vest. But, yeah. uh, you know, I don't know. It's just a side thought. I, I, I remember I remember uh, being watching him live and having him walk up to the microphone a lot. And I thought, wow, he's doing a lot of singing for uh, never doing it on the records. You know what I mean? But, you right. know, 
right. That's just me. I I I I notice too much sometimes. <laughs> well, I know uh, working through the catalog in the last week. Um, I you know I don't really. A lot of this stuff is still like re soaking in with me. Like, uh, uh, what's the uh, something from nothing from what is that twenty one twelve twenty one twelve yeah that that one just like it just kicks you right in the gut. It's such a good song. Um, mm-hmm. I I could literally put the entire first album on there, like I said before. And a farewell to kings, that whole record, you know, bits and pieces. But that record in general, I finished that one. I'm like, huh, that's it wasn't it was better than what i remembered it and i don't know if i just got stuck on certain eras you know like um for whatever reason if i don't if i don't listen to rush for a while and then i start up again the first thing i go to is vapor trails i don't know why that's just the first record i go to and one little victory which is probably one of my favorite songs uh so actually the song that's gonna open this podcast um is like just you know, the day the day that I uh, heard he passed, I was telling my kids about it. And because uh, they're at the age where they're starting to kind of get into music and they really love like Queen and stuff like that. You know, so I'm like, yeah, you got to listen to this drummer. He's like he's one of my favorites. And, you know, it's one of my favorite bands. And I put it on and I fucking cranked it. And their look on their faces was just like, well, that's one guy playing that. I'm like, yeah. You know, so like they <laughs> like they, you know, they they're, they they appreciated him. Um, that's always been a favorite of mine for sure. But, uh, you know, once I once I kind of finish everything and have a chance to soak it in, I think I'll be able to pinpoint things a little better like you because I think you're a little more well versed in Rush than I am. But, I'm, you know, I'm at the point now where I'm like, you know, this is not it's, it's no longer like I really love Rush. It's like this band is it's like it's my band. You know, it's 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 like kind of how I feel, like I said earlier. So, well, I think it's a little easier for me because. Like when you get into them, when you got into them, was what counterparts? Yeah, right. So I mean, there was such a catalog at that time, you know, by yeah. that time, that to go back and try to absorb it all is is monstrous. Where yeah. when I got into them, I mean, it, it, they only had, you know, it was their eighth studio album. You know, right. so there, right. and and of course the the early stuff is not that long. You know, it wasn't a CD era where people are going, oh, I've got you know eighty minutes now that I can put you know eighty minutes worth of music. I mean, those albums are what thirty five minutes long, forty minutes <laughs> yeah. long. You know, Super it, short. I think I think Hemispheres is a half hour, all, yeah. all total. Yeah, you know, so it's like it, well, there wasn't as much to digest, and you could get into it more. You know, so uh, I I was already very familiar with the first eight albums when Signals came out. So, you know, and then I just went from there. Of course, you can put your all your attention into the next album where for you. It's a monstrous catalog to try and go back and listen to. Yeah, it really is. So, yeah, I think I'm only more versed in it simply by virtue of time. Right, right. Yeah, I mean, and, I, and, go ahead. Uh, I like I could do that with the Black Crows because I've listened to the Black Crows since pretty much the beginning. So, like, I've got, you know, I could sit down and talk for hours about the Black Crows because I just I've seen them like four or five times and I've had all the records and I just yeah, it's just like 
one of those bands that is like a gateway band for me again. Like they opened up so many other doors. And, but when I go back and listen to it, it's like this, it kind of like, it feels like home, you know, like, and that's how I'm starting to feel like about rush. Like I just, like I can sit down and listen to it and like be at peace. And it's like, it just makes me feel good, you know? Right. Yeah. It could go on and on about this topic. I mean, I don't, I don't think there's, but, but, uh, it's interesting to hear the songs that you really like because they're, they're definitely, although we agree that we love rush, our likes are at polar opposite ends. Yeah. Yeah. You know, because to me, I think, uh, uh, vapor trails. That to me was one of their weakest records and it just, I, I not musicianship wise. I just think songwriting, it never really reached out to me, which was, it's funny that snakes and errors is so good to me because yeah. I don't know. I, I don't know if they, cause you know, they were coming back from the whole absence and the hiatus and so on. So, you know, vapor trails was that, that album where, you know, I mean, lyrically it's, it's wow. You know, yeah. it's, it's intense, but it's like they were still getting a grip on who they were and like snakes and errors is when they refined that and got it right for me. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Um, I always have a tendency to go to the, the back catalog stuff. I don't know why I, 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 I think with every band that I really, really love, there's a, there's one album that, nobody else likes that i'm like that's my favorite and i don't do it on purpose i just i gravitate towards stuff that hits me sonically like i don't necessarily listen to the lyrics at first like i it, it, you know if it, if it really hits you in the balls with everything like that i'm like that's that's the record i want to listen to and then i go back through and I'm, you know where i'll i'll um you know like kind of lean on like closer to the heart for a little bit and things are a little more uh, straightforward, <clears throat> but uh, I I don't know. I've always liked records that just are not what people consider to be their best record or their favorite or the most popular. But and like, that's cool. Like Zeppelin, Physical Graffiti is my favorite record. Now, Physical Graffiti has Cashmere on it, and it has a lot of other songs that are like now they're timeless. But in the course of the catalog, I think everyone would go to you know three four maybe houses of the holy but physical graffiti is like like in my time of dying is my favorite song of all time no matter what we're talking about that's my favorite song and people are like what what in my time of that what the hell is that and they go listen to it and i'm like oh shit like that's a great song but nobody knows it's nobody knows unless you're really well versed on zeppelin you know right so and they covered the yeah. three pages of Black Crows did that on the Live of the Greek, and that's probably my favorite, one of my favorite versions, unless I ever get uh, a copy, like an official copy of like their uh, that tour, because they played that a lot, and I'm like, oh, it'd be so good to hear it. So, but that's again off topic. So, uh, well, what else can we say, Dave, about Rush um, that we haven't already? Anything come to mind? No, no. I mean, it's it's, you know, music is one of those things where it's it's a part of you, and I, I don't understand people who don't 
like music. I, I don't understand that, but that's yeah. that's a whole other topic in itself. Music has to speak to you, and and Rush, Rush spoke to me. I mean, as a musician, as a music fan, you know, as uh, a person who appreciates the lyrics, you know. Uh, I'm not always a lyrics guy. You know, it doesn't have to be great lyrics for me to to like a song. It it, it can't be real hokey, shitty stuff. But, you know, um, yeah. you know, I mean, I listen to a lot of blues. Well, they don't, you know, there's not much they talk about in that. Yep. <laughs> you, know? <laughs> you know, so and, and I like, yes. And half time, I don't even know what he's talking about. So. Right. You know, I mean, that's cool. I like that stuff, you know, but but but, you know, Neil, he really he really wrote lyrics that touched people. And I'm one of them, you know, some of those songs, some of them, you know, that were great songs, you know, like uh, Red Barchetta. Great story. But mm. then just like everyone else that felt about how they felt about subdivisions. I mean, that was that was great. Mm-hmm. That was great. You know, Um Entree New was another one, you know. Listen to that again. Listen to it lyrically. It's it's a it's a fantastic song, you know, and different strings on that same album. Uh fantastic song. You know, um the trees, the lyrically, yeah. you know, the 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 moral behind the story is just you know, and he was able to do that. You know. Uh yeah. I, I think that, that that is a gift that that's a real gift. I mean, when you look at people who write lyrics, you know, on a lot of this stuff, uh, that was a, that was a real gift. He had a real gift. Yeah. And I didn't know that he had like, he was, he was published. He, uh, he authored, uh, I don't know how many books, but I mean, he was, I thought that was pretty cool. And it, like you look at it, you're like, well, of course he's such a talented lyricist. Why wouldn't he, you know, write, books and i don't know i literally don't know anything about it because i just found that out but uh you know it'd be interesting to see what how that is similar or completely different i actually have uh a copy of clockwork angels and i have yet to read it hmm. i really need to i did when you said books it just hit me i forgot that i even had it to be honest with you i i got it a long time ago needing to read it and it, it never happened this is probably a good time to start it you're welcome. <laughs> yes, thank you. There you go. Awesome. Yeah. Well, Dave, I appreciate you hopping on with me, man. It's been fun talking, and uh, you know, I definitely uh, cheer up for it. We'll do this again. And uh, it's it sucks that you know Neil's gone, but the great thing is that we have such a great body of work to kind of remember him by, and uh, you know, it's such great music. And I think we've shown in the last hour that you know, it, it's cool to be able to talk about a band and have different likes and dislikes. And, um, that's what rush was. It just, it brought everybody together. So it's pretty awesome. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. Great talk. I, I enjoyed this very much. Cool, man. Thanks a lot. Well, uh, thanks everybody for listening to episode two of turntables and, uh, look for it on all of the major, uh, podcasting forums and, uh, we'll talk to you later. Thanks. Thanks Dave. Thank you, friend. All right, talk to you later. See you, buddy.